Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Yo, yo, yo. It is the Bleachers and the Bleacher Blums podcast is coming back at you again. It's been a good couple of weeks. Numbers have been rising. We appreciate everybody. And I know that last week it was kind of a fun week for us because we actually had an opportunity to have fans reach out to us and give us some questions and supply us with some content, which we greatly appreciate because there are going to be moments, believe it or not, where Bleacher Blums, both myself, Jeff Blum, and David Tuttle do not have the content to carry an entire show. So we rely heavily on our on our fans and our feedback, and all of you have been listening, and we greatly appreciate that. I am Jeff Blum. I am a 14-year Major League veteran, and I am also the color commentator for the Houston Astros, everybody's beloved Astros that were not represented at last week's All-Star Game, of which I did not watch. On the other end, out there in Northern California or in Southern California, from Northern California is David Tuttle. He is just an all-American dude, all-American player, all-American dad, and we are happy to have him on. It's good to have you back on the podcast again. Tuttle, how have you been? It has been a while, dude. It has been a while. Blumber, back from vacation. Uh, It's great. Yeah. And uh, again, we do want to thank all the fans for sending in questions and, you know, listening to us and paying attention to some of the things that we uh, enjoy talking about. You guys, you fans, I should say, are the ones that make this all go. So thanks again. And uh, yeah, Blummer doing well. How, how, was, uh, how was your trip away? It was good. You know what I learned? I learned there was one thing I definitely learned on this trip. So I have uh, in-laws that live in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And you've got to fly into Vegas, and then you've got to drive two hours to get there, which isn't a problem because we usually stay out there six to seven days. They built an absolutely amazing home that uh, is able to handle all of us and then some. So we had my family. We had uh, my my sister-in-law's family out there. We had my, uh, my other sister-in-law out there, and we just had a blast. It was a great time having all the family there, eating family meals with, you know, uh, you know, what, five, six, six or seven adults. And then we had about uh, seven or eight kids, had a blast. And in doing so, we go out on the lake every single day because my my father-in-law has a 25-foot hallet that, it, you know, you can tow people. It holds 12 people. It's, it's a great boat. But man, dude, 120 degrees of dry heat in comparison to 95 in humidity. I'm taking humidity. I don't know how often you've lived in humidity, but man, I have fully acclimated to the to the environment, the tropical atmosphere down here in Houston, and my skin loves it. My uh, my my sweat glands love it. I don't mind sweating anymore. But when I got out there to that lake, all of a sudden, it felt like my skin was being shrink wrapped around my my insides, and it was you know things were starting to crack. My lips were starting to shrivel up. And uh, I, I just couldn't handle it. And when I got off the plane here in Houston, all of a sudden it was like my body just took this huge sigh of relief, like, oh, moisture. I think we just get used to the environment we live in. You know, I'm not a big fan of dry heat either. You know, when I used to go to Arizona and people were like, well, it's, you know, it's a dry heat, you know, and you're like, oh. all right, I don't know what that means. When it's hot, it's hot. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. But you find me this morning, I think it's about 90% humidity here in Southern California, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know is not typical usually we're in like the 30 percent range and uh you know it was pretty miserable i'm like walk outside and you're sweating and you're like "Uh, this is terrible but it's so funny you and i um 
don't get to catch up as much as we'd like. And here we are talking about the weather on our uh, Bleacher Bums podcast. So go figure. Yeah, we'd like to do that a lot, man. Yeah, that's right. So, so uh, well, hey, left coast, we still have the best weather in the world, in my opinion. But you, yes. I guess, dry heat isn't great. And then dry heat when you're uh, <clears throat> probably not uh, hydrating with uh, as much water <laughs> as you should. Dry D- heat different kind of hydrating. You are correct. That's right. That's right. And that doesn't always help either. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we decide what's on what's on tap, or tell the folks what's on tap for our uh, podcast? Today. Yeah. Uh, St. Arnold's going to bring that to you. It's what's on tap here on the Bleacher Blumps podcast and a big deadline coming up in baseball. And there's only one this year. That's another reminder, too, is that there's only one trade deadline uh, on July 31st, which is the standard trade deadline. In years past, it's been the waiver trade deadline that usually comes in about August 31st, which a lot of Astro fans down here will remember because that's how they got Justin Verlander was through that waiver trade deadline late in the season. Before uh, he he was added to the roster, so July thirty first is the only trade deadline. We will get into that a little bit. Talk about some teams around the league. Uh, there's already been some relatively decent moves made, which I think is going to lend itself to maybe some other moves being made uh, across baseball. Obviously, on the West Coast for Tuttle, he's a Giants fan, and he knows that the Giants are in first place. They're not getting much love. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. And of course, the Astros and what are they going to do? Because they, I'm not sure if it's surprising, but they are two and a half games up in the West. And there's some spots where they could actually make some moves. But can they? Uh, we're also going to get into what will Tuttle say. I've got a Blum's Blast. And, you know, in that trade deadline conversation, I think that, uh, you know, most fans, if they're paying attention, know that I've been traded several times. Uh, but you have been traded in some relatively big trades that I don't think a lot of people know about. So I'm going to ask Tuttle about that later. Uh, we want to continue to ask our fans to go out there and keep sharing, keep subscribing, keep rating, keep reviewing, because it pushes our numbers and it makes us that much better and gives us that much more exposure because we do this for you. And if you are sharing it, we are getting to more people. Uh, you can follow myself at Blummer27. You can follow Tuttle on Twitter at RealDavidTuttle. We also have a handle for the podcast called at Bleacher Blums, which makes it easy to keep updated. And we also, speaking of those reviews, we will continue to post those reviews. Our producer, Mark Ramos, does a very good job of getting out some content, getting out some information, but he's also given the fans a voice too, which I kind of uh, really appreciate because we we do get a little self-involved sometimes with our podcast, Tuttle and I, and we really dig ourselves, but it's the fans that keep us going. And Ramos is the one that keeps us on our toes, man, doesn't he? Yeah, I, isn't that the point of a podcast is to be self-involved? I thought I was like, hey, plumber, <laughs> we used to just shoot the breeze. Let's do it so that we can hear ourselves talk and uh, bounce ideas off each other. We don't care about the fans. Oh, no, wait a second. No, I, I'm, yeah. I'm obviously joking. But yeah, we. I think the point of the podcast is to get a little self-involved. And what the uh, fans and listeners do is just keep us, uh, keep us on our toes and certainly keep us uh, grounded. So that's a good thing. Speaking of keeping us grounded, I don't know if you if you did that on purpose or not, but we... I I have got a question before we get this podcast going, because there has been some serious news in in just life itself. Uh, with everything that is going on in this world, there are two dudes out there who are who have made billions. And I, I know that they're philanthropic in a way, but they have decided to use some of those billions to go to space. Um, who, who's it? Branson? Branson out there in Europe. And then we've got Bezos. So the killer bees, Branson and Bezos, have decided to go to space in their own way. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, Tuttle, but I was kind of fascinated by this because NASA's kind of backed off. The space shuttle program's gone. 
you know, SpaceX is out there. And then you've got, you know, Elon Musk, Branson, Bezos. These guys are flying to the edge of space. My question to you, Tuttle, is, and I'm not sure if you would go up in Bezos's phallic symbol, and because which <laughs> which totally reminded me of uh, the Austin Powers movie when they started to see the things on the radar and they're like, Colonel, you better take a look at this radar. What is it, son? I don't know, sir, but it looks like a giant dick. Yeah. Take a look out of starboard. Oh my God, it looks like a huge pecker. Oh yeah. Wait, that's not a woodpecker. It looks like someone's private. And uh, I couldn't help but laugh at that. But my question to you, Tuttle, is that's the best. if they had an extra seat on one of those vehicles, would you get on and would you want to go to space? I like this in a hypothetical format. I think um, I, I initially, <laughs> I, I'm going to sound like, a, you know, a mother, a mother hen. I know like my wife and I did a lot not crazier. We did a lot more things before we had kids. And I think, uh, I, I had always thought about maybe going skydiving at one point or another. And I realized that I'm going to wait till the kids get out of the house. If it's still something I'd like to do and maybe I would do it. And I kind of, I guess I'll just carry that over to the space thing. I don't think right now, uh, right. As my kids <laughs> get into late high school and start entering college would be the time to go up to space. But, uh, I, I don't know if I'd be scared <laughs> I don't. Why are you laughing? I don't know if I'd be scared to do it. I mean, I think it'd be fun to go up to space. I, I don't have any sort of qualms about you it. You do? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to look at the Earth from like, hey, you know? I know you might be like, you know, like, you know, trying to look out the window, but like, anyway, I just think it, I do. Once I think getting up into orbit would be cool. Didn't uh, Bezos and that guy? There was a uh, a random citizen like volunteer to do it. They got back recently. Oh, yeah? I think they landed recently. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't get that far into it. All I know is that oh. the, all I saw were billion dollars in space, oh. and it kind of it kind of triggered my idea. And I'm like, would I would I actually get in that vehicle and go up there? I don't know how many test runs. I'd have to have some serious research to to understand what exactly was being expected of this of this rocket to get me into space. Yeah. Um, as a kid, I was fascinated by it, and I don't know if it's been years of flying, but dude, I hate heights. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if being strapped in a rocket and getting up into uh, orbit is my cup of tea. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that you're thinking about your family first because I, I didn't. Even, when I was started to think about this and was going to ask you this question, I didn't even think about my kids. I was just like, man, I'm going to go up in a rocket and see what happens. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, does your life insurance cover that? Can you can you like say, hey, man, I want my premiums to be the same because, but but by the way, I'm going into orbit. I, I, it probably doesn't, there's probably a clause that, that, uh, you know, extricates that out of the contract. What I will say is that I think, you know, I grew up in the $6 million man era remember, And that's how, you know, astronaut Ooh, yeah. Steve Austin got back. They could rebuild yeah, us, dude. dude. So if we came in and we hit too oh, hard sick. in the ocean, you know, you could have a bionic arm and a bionic eye and then, you know, your life would be solid. So I, I it's something I, I'm not, I don't know if it's a realistic opportunity for me, so maybe it's easy to be like, yeah, sure, I'd try it, you know, but if Bezos calls me right now, well, hold on, Bezos? Bezos is calling me. Hold on one second. Uh, yeah, we're going to yeah. go up next week. We Do you want to go? I'd be like, mm. Yeah, I'd be a little, I'd be a little uh, probably more hesitant than I sound right now, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I'm not, you know, I don't think they would just, it's not willy-nilly. It's not like flying on a, you know, an old 1965 airplane where they're like, all right, we're going to make this flight over. Yeah, I might rather you know. go to space than that. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You can fly Russia. You but can why are, fly why are from we Kazakhstan the, yeah. to, <laughs> to, to Tajikistan in an old Aeroflot airplane. You're like, eh, that's taking your life in your hands, I think. Yeah. 
yeah, next thing you know, you're on an episode of Lost or Manifest, and uh, you're yeah. coming back five and a half years later. Um, but you know, it, it is intriguing. You know, I, I wonder, I'm kind of curious, you know, what's next, you know, they got to the edge of space. Are they next going to go out there and start building, you know, building colonies on the moon or trying to figure out a planet they can go do that on. But I was going to ask you the next question is say they do get out there and things start to expand a little bit. Would they, you know, what would you have to invent new sports to play in space because you couldn't play any any of these professional sports that we have here down here on this, you know, gravity filled planet that we're on right now? You know, that's a great question. I, I think what's funny, my son is into, uh, astr- uh, astronomy and, uh, he's into the space thing. And so that might be a better question for him. I think the sports would be indoor sports to start. And I don't think it'd have to be new sports. I think you'd be yeah. like, you play a lot of racquetball handball, you know, or like, yeah, handball, a lot of in, yeah, indoor tennis and maybe some, you know, <laughs> some pickleball, you know, Ooh, I think pickleball. You, there you go. Yeah, I love pickleball. A nice smaller facility, but it would either have to be oxygen controlled, or I mean, you know, it depends on what kind of the advances we make. But I do think it's funny. I, I think Joe Rogan's mentioned this on his podcast. But the bottom line is, like, you know, we've effed up the Earth enough. Like, you know, like we're rapidly heating <laughs> Let's up. Let's go effed up like, something else. Where else? Where else should we go? You know, and all these people that think like Mars <laughs> is the next point. the next frontier. Like, hey, you go up to Mars. You you know, you screw that up. When you when it's livable, then give me a holler. Like, it's not something. So, yeah, is I'm there a resource to, up there we can exploit? <laughs> that's right. I'm not. I'm not scared to go up into space, but I don't want to be the first colony. You know, this is like a third generation thing. Like, all right, you guys go forage up there, and you know, you make it happen, and then I'll come on, I'll, man. Instead, instead of Lewis and Clark, it could be Blum and Tuttle. Oh, there you go. All right, you you lead the way. We'll let your name be first, <laughs> just like it is on this podcast, <laughs> the Blum yeah. and Tuttle expedition. Yeah, Tuttle was. Uh, yeah, we'll end up being a footnote in the history books. We're like, remember right. that failed message with Blum and Tuttle getting up that's there? Right. Well, you know, you hear those things where, yeah, well, we ran out of food, so they had to eat some of the guys that were part of the crew. It's well, like, the Don- <laughs> that's how I know you're a Californian, by the way, because you talk about the Donner Pass. Yeah, the Donner Pass. There you go. Yeah, we got to eat some people. So yeah, when the when the Blum and Tuttle excursion doesn't go well, or the expedition doesn't go well, you're like, we'll be a footnote where. Who ate? Uh, yeah, who? yeah. Well, that's when Mark Ramos ends up on the on the flight, and he's going, "Why am I even here?" And we're like, yeah, "Shh, yeah. <laughs> nothing to see here, guys." <laughs> I'm just messing. All right, we're we are going to get into that trade deadline, but before we do that, we are going to have a word from our sponsor. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we are back. 
Thank you to our sponsors for helping us get this Blue Wire podcast named Bleacher Blums going. And we are obviously a sports podcast dedicated to baseball. And we are in a big moment here in uh, the season of 2021. There are some surprise teams like the San Francisco Giants out there out in the West who are leading that National League Western Division. They have been picking up big wins against the Los Angeles Dodgers who may have some issues of their own. And there have been some trades around baseball already. Jock Peterson going from the Cubs to the Atlanta Braves, which was a nice pickup. Uh, we, you know, with Ronald Acuna Jr. going on uh, the injured list with that torn ACL, so they needed some help and production. So it might be a nice bat for them to have throughout the rest of the season. But the big one that kind of jumped to me was uh, Nelson Cruz. Uh, we've talked about Nelson Cruz a little bit just because he's a 41-year-old masher, still going out there putting up big numbers as far as home run production. And the Minnesota Twins, who were supposed to be contenders in the Central this season, have gone by the wayside. And I think this is the first real indication that the Minnesota Twins, who have some have some nice pieces that I think a lot of teams out there might actually start kicking the tires on, is uh, is trading guys. They're 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 sellers in this market right now. And the Tampa Bay Rays picked up a big bat to put in the middle of their lineup that will drive in runs and hopefully help propel their offense because. I feel like Tampa Bay is always a team that's going to compete. It's always a team that is going to pitch well and hopefully play some good defense behind those guys, but they're always missing that one bat. And I think they found their guy in Nelson Cruz. But Tuttle, just a thought on what you're seeing in this trade market as it starts to evolve a little bit. And as we get closer to that deadline, give me an idea of some of the things that you're seeing out there that kind of intrigue you a little bit with some of these teams that could use some help to uh, to get into the playoffs, and if not further. Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe he's 41. I mean, he is the ageless one. Isn't that crazy? Like, it is. He's and, a and freak. He's a freak, and we, he doesn't get talked about at all. I mean, I know he jumps teams, no. and he's kind of one of those uh, under, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe, you know, underrated, underappreciated guys. They showed his stats yesterday. I think it was when he, obviously, when he got traded, but he was 19 home runs and 48 RBIs or 50 RBIs. I'm mean, like, that translates to 38 and 100 for a guy who, I <laughs> That's mean, pretty 30, good, man. as a 41-year-old, you take like 38 and 100 especially in this day and age where i mean like guys used to play all the time and they hit three four five and you know 117 118 19 ribbies was pretty solid mm -hmm. but he just kind of keeps moving team to team and just keeps doing it over and over um i'm assuming you played against him i mean he's been around forever oh yeah so, i mean he's was he always a you know there were guys that uh we i, I saw an article today about bobby abreu should be a hall of famer i played against him we've talked about him on this podcast when he was in i liked him I was a college guy in low A and he was a young 17, 18 year old guy. Um, and he was really solid, but I mean, is that what you thought of Nelson Cruz or has he evolved? And I mean, his power game wasn't quite that when he first got to the big leagues. No, his power game really wasn't anything until about what his fourth or fifth year in the big leagues. When he finally became a, he came, he broke into the league. Think about this. It's 2021. He broke into the league in 2005. That is a long time ago. You know, that's yeah. 16 years ago. And it wasn't until 2009 when he became a, an all-star. He has been an all-star quite a bit, never won an MVP award, even though he was an ALCS MVP. And he actually finally led the major league or led the uh, American League in home runs in 2014. So that's nine years into his season, into his career, when he finally led the league in home runs. He hit 40 home runs. And how about this? He is got 436 home runs. So I always knew he was a threat and I always knew he was pretty good. He's a career 278 hitter. So you've got 280, 40, and 100 plus RBIs. 
that is a, a really good, sustainable big league career. And if he's able to maintain and get to that 450 home run mark, which he probably should be able to, and who knows if he's done playing, he may play again next year. But, uh, you know, especially with these DH rules and if they expand the DH rule uh, rule to uh, the National League next year, it's going to open up 15 more jobs for him as far as just being a DH. And I think that's what really helps him, him statistically maybe get considered, maybe get a Hall of Fame vote or two. But I think, you know, you you think of Nelson Cruz and you think consistent power. And that's what's amazing to me at this age of 41. And I think that's what the Tampa Bay race on him because, you know, his paycheck Man, I want to say he's close to maybe thir- you know 13, 15 million. Dude, that's doable, man. For a guy that's going to give you, like you just said, 30 and 100, I'm going to take that guy in a heartbeat. That's an easy sell for me. Yeah. So I know your question was what, what other trades are on the horizon, but I, I just, I'm just really impressed. I think it's good to spend some time on Nelson Cruz. Fantastic player. And I think there's kind of two guys you or two types of players you think of when you think of Hall of Famers and you think of superstars, right? Like this rocket, you know, like Sandy Koufax, you know, he didn't have as long career as he wanted, but his arm blew out. And then you have guys that just, you know, Biggio's more in that category. He's got the 3,000 hits because he played for 18, 19 years and he was super consistent. Um, obviously, he was a he was an excellent baseball player, but I'm just saying there's that longevity and health and those kind of guys. And Nelson Cruz is just that kind of guy. I mean, he just keeps putting up numbers consistently. But play, like you're saying, playing as long as he has has put himself in that category. That's exactly. what's impressive. Well, that's right. I mean, you know about, you know, the end of your career with some of the injuries you had. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, mentally get ready. But if your body breaks down, it's certainly a challenge. So, um, you know, the article I read and, you know, this will uh, hopefully please some of the Astros fans that listen to this since I'm a left coast guy. I don't really know what the Dodgers, the Giants, you know, Padres, if there are any moves on the horizon for them. But the article that Jake Kaplan put on The Athletic discussed uh, the Astros trade possibilities. And I think we've discussed, I don't know if it's ad nauseum, but we've certainly discussed (laughs) consistently the lack of depth in the bullpen for the Astros. And that's kind of what his article was about. But I thought the key point that he brought up that I don't put as much thought into this as you do, and you probably have some good insight, is that you know, you're not typically willing to trade guys on the 40 man roster because of the, you know, the options that they have and the, you know, the freedom that you have with them. And so like Chaz McCormick was the first guy in, uh, in Kaplan's article. And it's not, you know, probably not necessarily, uh, likely that the Astros want to trade a guy like that, but a 26 year old guy who just came up this year, double A, triple A, and now big leagues, you know, he has, I think four or five years before he becomes a free agent, like that's a guy, Hey, you know, we could trade for him put him in our i don't know our our pen uh our stable of guys and then you know keep him around for a long time he could be a and i and i thought that was funny Corey lee was in that article which gosh the cal catcher they just drafted it seems like having a great year because these are guys that are yeah these guys are guys that aren't on the roster or guys that you know don't have options because guys like forrest whitley have been on the roster and they're you know haven't proven to be healthy or provide anything at the big league level yet so i just maybe will turn it around on you and say all right specifically with the astros i mean is that the strategy you think they should take and would they give up a couple of guys? I mean, I think guys that would be good trade, you know, when I, they, they weren't in the article, but like some of the bullpen guys, I know Scruggs just got hurt and went down. Um, I'm thinking of James, you know, guys like that, you know, these guys mm-hmm. could, they could help a big league team if they were healthy, but they're not healthy enough to provide the value. So your thoughts on like 40 man roster options, right. But for free agency and who, who really would be the most likely guys to go and what, what mm-hmm. could they, or what would they get for them? Dude, well, you actually, <laughs> of the notes I took, I'm actually appreciative that you did bring up guys like Scrub and 
and some of these other guys who are in that bullpen and are younger guys who have big league time because just be ready. I'm going to turn this around on you because when I get done talking about some of the possibilities that these guys have for trades, because it kind of opens up the idea of trading. The question I think a lot of teams ask is, how much am I willing to give up in the future to win now? Because you you start to talk about guys that Tuttle is bringing up. It's prospects. It's it's futures. You know, Chaz McCormick is a great uh, a great guy to look at because he's been put on the roster. Kind of needed to be put on the roster because they didn't have anybody else to fill the spot. All of a sudden, this guy comes out. He's got ten home runs, thirty two RBIs, and you're like, wow, this guy's actually a productive ball player, a good piece in our organization, does he fit in our future is the question you've got to ask. And you look around the outfield, you've got control on Tucker for a while. You've got control on Miles Straw for a while. You have Michael Brantley for one more year. And then you start to ask yourself, is this the time that I feel like as a GM, is this the time I feel like I can go out there and win? Is And is Chaz going to be the guy who brings back the guy that is going to put us over the top and help us win a championship? That's what teams are asking themselves right now. Is this guy going to get me in the playoffs? Or is this guy going to get me into the World Series and possibly win it? And I'm not sure where the Astros are looking at it. I'm sure with the current history that they've had, the recent history, they're looking at is the, you know whoever we trade for, is this guy going to get us into the World Series, if not win it? Uh, you know, and I know that's a little greedy and a, l- a little bit big, big picture to look at, but I think that's where they're at as far as an organization because the Astros are unique in the sense that they've got Granky on the last year of his contract. We don't know what's going to happen with Carlos Correa. So I think the idea, at least in my mind, is if I can get a guy that's going to change the season for me right now, I'm going to do it. Now, what am I willing to give up? You know, is it a is it a combination of Scrub, Corey Lee, and maybe another pitcher out of the minor leagues that has club control for a while that is really appealing? And is the guy that I'm getting in return is he a guy that's just a rental like a Max Scherzer for a year or two, or is it a guy that's long term that I have control over? You know, that's where I think the Minnesota Twins become interesting because they've got Rogers in their bullpen, a very good left handed hitter. And then you've also got uh, Barrios, a very good starting pitcher, a young starting pitcher that you could actually maybe give a contract to and keep around for a while. For me personally, and I know this is incredibly selfish, but after watching Corey Lee, the way he hits and the, his build, his physique, his physicality, his his versatility, I've seen him take ground balls at third base and he looks almost natural. Behind the plate, he's got an absolute cannon for an arm. The only question I have for Corey Lee is, can he develop into a a cerebral type catcher and work with pitchers because the offense has come around? You got to remember that this guy, a lot of these guys missed last year because they didn't play a minor league season, yet Corey Lee is still proving that he is worthy of that first round pick. And are are you willing to give up a catcher this day and age where catchers are hard to find? I think the window on Forrest Whitley is gone. I think his opportunity to be a guy that was traded uh, was maybe three or four years ago when, when he was at the height. Now, I think with the injury issues and the inability to break through this roster that we have right now with Houston has kind of diminished his value a little bit. And I think he's on the injured list too, coming back from uh, from an injury, whether it be shoulder or elbow, I'm not sure. But uh, I think his window is closed. So that's kind of where I sit with the Houston Astros. I, I think they're going to make a move. Uh, but here's the thing. There's two options. I think they either do nothing or they make a massive move where you're just like, holy crap, they just pulled the trigger and they've got a guy that you know we didn't think about, but he's going to have an impact. Um, I've heard Max Scherzer's name out there. I just mentioned Barrios just because I like Barrios from uh, Minnesota, the starting pitcher. Uh, Starling Marte is another guy, an outfielder. 
I'm not sure if that is an angle I would go after just because I like the way Miles Straw, Kyle Tucker, and Brantley go out and play the game. And Chaz McCormick, if he's still on the team, uh, offers an option. But Tuttle, if you're a GM this day and age, I want you to get in that GM mindset and I want you to think about it because, you know, what would it take for you to sacrifice, you know, future winning to win now? Is that an idea or how do you look at it as far as a GM trading if you're in that fantasy uh, seat of being a general manager right now? Yeah, you and I've discussed this before, probably on the podcast and then off. You know, I think baseball is a really mm-hmm. unique one because, you know, like the NBA only has two, you know, two rounds. So every guy is a, a guy, right? You go right from college <laughs> basketball or, you know, Europe to the NBA, um, pretty much. I mean, there's the developmental league. But I mean, looking at a 17 or 18 year old prospect, and I think you're right. I think. I mean, it's funny that you say all or nothing. There's no in between here for you, you know, in this scenario. But I, I'm, I'm, I think winning now is important. That just that winning now gives. You I feel such, that way too. It just gives you such credibility. I was listening to a, another sport, either podcast or radio show yesterday, and they were talking about John Harbaugh. If John Harbaugh, if John Harbaugh can get to the get to the Super Bowl with uh, Lamar Jackson, and you know, that would be getting to the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. You know, which, you know, it's one thing to be the Patriots and just, you know, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or these mainstays. But, you know, John Harbaugh seems to field a good team every year. I mean, mm-hmm. that that speaks a lot to the coaching. And that's about just winning. I mean, he just wins. And I think winning is everything. And I think you don't want to wait 17, you know, 18-year-old. And there's always the hindsight. Oh, gosh, they traded this 18-year-old guy. And, you know, with Brent Strom especially, the Astros have a great reputation of developing pitching. That's but another really ask, good point. But if you ask me, and I'm a Giants fan, I want the Giants to beat the Dodgers and the Padres this year. I mean, this is their chance, right? Posey's on fire. He's older. Um, the shortstop, uh, uh, gosh darn it. Brandon Crawford. 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 Those guys are older. They're really good mainstays, but their pitching staff has been underrated and overperforming. Like, go for it. If you get another piece. Take advantage like the, of that. Yeah, if the Giants got a Scherzer, that'd be fantastic. And I will say this, this is hilarious, and we didn't bring this up in this conversation, but, you know, my daughter, who does like the Astros, you've had her up in the booth before. She's a really big sports fan. She's like, Abraham Toro, he's playing. A, he's been playing a lot. Why is he playing? And I said, well, Bregman's hurt. And, he, and then she saw Garcia. And I said, you know, these guys are utility guys. But you, ta- you touched on this in the broadcast tonight. Aledmus Garcia is going to come back. Or Aledmus uh, Diaz, Diaz, excuse me. Yep, Aledmus Diaz is coming back. So you have Garcia and Toro and then Aledmus Diaz. Aledmus Diaz is a really good utility guy. If Bregman comes back, you have Toro who did hit 400 last year almost in AAA. Like, he's a trade piece. So you said all or nothing, but I'm thinking this is what we've always talked about if this isn't going to happen this year. But if Verlander was on the verge of coming back, it would almost be like a trade. You know, August 1st, you got Verlander and Bregman mm-hmm. and all these guys coming in the lineup. So now your lineup looks like Bregman, Brantley, you know, the Tucker's been on fire. So now all of a sudden, you know, Correa finally got a hit after, you know, that was funny, but after, thir- you know, 0 for 30 or something, it's like you have the lineup to do it. So you got to try and win now because you don't know where these guys are going to be. So I think that's, it's it's a long answer to a pretty easy question, which is, you know, I think they got to go for it <laughs> well, it's now. it's easy for us. <laughs> right. Well, but I mean, we think it the same. yeah, but it doesn't have to blow up. Like you don't have to, the Astros specifically, 
don't have to blow up their clubhouse to make a big difference, right? To get like two pitchers. Yes. And they do have the guys. Now, I don't know if Chaz McCormick's the guy because as you said, 10 homers and and 35 RBIs, his RBI production has been fantastic for the amount he's played. And I hear he's a good clubhouse guy and they really like him. So it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to blow that up to get some guy that you don't need. But, you know, like you said, when Bregman comes back, Toro and Garcia may become more expendable and, you know, we'll see how that works for them. But I I think now has got to be the baseball mentality as a GM. Yeah, that's the the X factor. And I, I agree with you. And it's actually a pretty good analogy between the Giants and Astros because they're different but the same at the same time because you've got veterans that you said that are playing well towards the end of their career, maximize that opportunity. You get guys that are overachieving, ride those guys. And on the other side, you've got the Astros who have, you know, a little bit older ball club also, and you're nearing the end of some of these contracts where guys are going to test the free agent market. So win while they're in your control and go out there and win now. But also another thing that you have to take into account, like Tuttle was talking about, as far as being a GM is who's on the injured list. Are they going to make it back this season? And what kind of impact are they going to have? And fortunately for the Astros, the guys that Tuttle brought up with Bregman, Diaz, uh, you know, there's also a guy, Pedro Baez, who was a free agent signing. If he can come back and actually uh, produce, he's pitched in, you know, 30, 40 games with the Dodgers in the postseason. So he has that experience. Yep. Jose Urquidy is another guy that hopefully can get back into that rotation and create a little more depth. But knowing that the possibility of Carlos Correa not being an Astro next year is probably going to, if I'm GM, probably forces me into win now. Yeah. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And he's not a guy you trade mm-hmm. at this moment, right? You don't know other free agent, but no. you're like, hey, this is it. You never know where these guys are going to be. I mean, Verlander stuck around and he's hurt. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. great. We kept him yeah, around. Yeah, he's not coming then, back. No, he's not coming back. I would agree with you. So, I mean, that, that makes it challenging. So win now should be, uh, I think, most sports GMs. I mean, the NFL probably definitely takes that to another level because of how mm-hmm. uh, how injuries happen. But gosh, you know, as a Warriors fan, I just remember they were going to win like, you know, five in a row and it just didn't happen. And they got Durant and that kind of tainted the what people think about that dynasty in general. But man, you know, when they had Clay and Draymond and Steph Curry and they, they were on fire it. and then they went for it and then they lost to Cleveland that second year and that kind of, but you just never know, man. You never know. The Bucks were down 2-0 to the Suns this year. They won the NBA title. Like win now, win at all costs and uh, and like pick yeah. up the shrapnel later because that, that World Series gives you as a coach, a GM and an organization, it gives you a lot of cachet, right? I mean, I think people look mm-hmm. at the Astros. This is a good point. We do focus on the Astros a lot. The fact that the Astros have had such a good run, remember they lost 100 games in 2014 and 15 and they, they are, I mean, people look at the Astros like a winning franchise with these guys. They're like 2017, yep. 18, you guys have been in the ALCS every year, been to the World Series. They have two World Series champions. I mean, it's like, you know, just that they're they're a team to beat, and it's a winning organization. And so, I think winning the the World Series and putting a, a a good product on the field, you know, just goes so far in the business of sports. Yeah, it does. Winning winning is everything, and it's and you got to win now because we know, especially both of you, you and I, going through the minor leagues and the big leagues, and understanding how rare it is actually to get to the point where you do have the opportunity to just get into the playoffs and then win some ball games and win out. So. It's always a unique situation when you 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 don't get many opportunities, so you got to take advantage of them. Yeah, so we 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 touch on the trade deadline and what's on tap, and um, since we've been talking about the trade, Brumler, you've been traded a few times. You were traded on the deadline as well, were you not? Yeah, it was two thousand five, believe it or not, in that uh, that juggernaut mega 
blockbuster deal that happened on 2005 uh, between the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox was me going to the Chicago White Sox for a guy named Ryan Moe, who who never never broke into the big leagues. I don't know if he got past Double A, but that that was the uh, that was a blockbuster trade. There weren't many moves that year, and uh, I was more of an insurance policy for Joe Creedy and Paul Konerko. I'm not sure if that's you know. I don't want to, you know, degrade what Knurko and Joe Creedy do, but um, you know, Ozzie Gian felt that I was going to be a guy that could not screw up the clubhouse uh, and contribute uh, when necessary in backing those guys up because Joe Creedy had a bad back. Paul Knurko was, you know, nursing some injuries, but fortunately, it worked out the way it did. But you know, I sat there every July 31st, going, "Hmm, wonder who it's going to be." And that that year, I actually sat down. After a game, I, I think I pinch hit against the Cincinnati Reds, and I actually went down to like tie tie the last you know shoe on my on my foot to leave the clubhouse, and I got a tap on the shoulder from Fred Yulman, the assistant GM, and he goes, uh, "Hey Blummer, can you come with me?" And I and immediately, and you know this is a ball player because every guy knows this date. You just, I just went, "Son of a bitch." You know, I'm on a first place team with the San Diego Padres and I'm getting traded and I'm thinking worst case scenario, you know, I'm thinking I'm getting traded, you know, I don't know where, who was bad at the time, but I just figured I was getting traded for somebody else. And I go into Bruce Bochy. You're getting traded back to a Lou Pinella team. Oh God, that I'm gonna, I would have announced my retirement. <laughs> I guarantee you that I would have said I am retiring. I, I'm opting out of this. Uh, my no trade clause is I'm going home, but uh, I get into Bruce Bochy's office and he's got that massive skull in his hands and he. He's got his head down. Uh, Kevin Towers is sitting on the couch next to me, and he's kind of got this, you know, this sheepish, sad looking uh, on his face. I know what's coming, and Boach kind of, uh, Blummer, Ozigian, and the White Sox called and said that they need a utility guy. And I was like, the freaking White Sox? I'm like, dude, they're 15 games up. What do they need me for? And then my second thought was, oh no, they're 15 games up. I better not screw this thing up. An untold story in that in that how, meeting. How'd that work out that, for you, Blum? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe if we, into if we were, a, the form of the, a statue the, and a, like some other <laughs> shit. Like, like yeah, not, I was going to say, our bad, producer right? Mark Ramos on the other side right now, who's not on camera, is probably just going that son. Of a yeah, <laughs> shaking his head. There he is. But uh, <laughs> you know, an untold story out of that out of that uh, meeting is that I'm sitting next to Kevin Towers, and we created a very good relationship. You know, that was the year my triplets were born. There was a lot going on, but Kevin Towers looked at me across the way and just he goes, I know you're on a one-year contract. He goes, When when the free agent market opens up after the World Series, you will be my first call. So obviously 2005 ends the way it does. And God's honest truth, the first call that Kevin Towers made that offseason was to me, and I became a Padre again. So the late Kevin Towers was an incredible man and uh, an incredible GM and uh, actually kept to his word, which I greatly appreciate and is rare this day and age. But uh, that's that trade deadline story. But you've been traded for – your trades are – Friggin' blockbusters, man! In every sense of the word. The problem is, I was the Ryan Moe of the of the trade that year. They didn't know that at the time. At the time, they're going, "You were you were that future piece that was like, oh, throw put Tuttle in this done at deal." At least, at least I wasn't. I was right above the player to be named later part of it. So I don't even remember who the yes, player to be named. Later you got was. named early. And, 
Yeah. And this is also, to your point, this is kind of when you are in a trade like that, it's kind of the most notoriety as a minor leaguer. You were a big leaguer when you got traded, but as a minor leaguer, the most notoriety you get. And the the scene is very similar. It's not Kevin Towers and Bruce Bochy, but I was in uh, high A ball or double A at the time. Gosh, Chattanooga. I was back to high A ball. So I'd played double A. They had me in high A ball and they did the same thing. I think it was before the game. And they're like, uh, you're not going to suit up tonight. And I was like, what? And it was it was on the deadline day, and they brought me into the. Uh, oh wow, you were a deadline deal too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was the actual day nice. of the deadline, July 31st, and they called me in the office, or they. It was our manager who, you know, I mean, at this well, he's day speaking age, for the organization. It's a they. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing, but it's a they. But he uh, he called me in the office, and it is. It's it's the old Bull Durham like shut the door kind of thing. And and I remember Winston Salem. <laughs> is a really weird little, like Winston-Salem, North Carolina, but the way the field was, we just had our own little kind of clubhouse out in left field and the you know the office for the manager is teeny tiny and there's a little chair or couch in there and he's like, hey, you just got traded for David Wells, one of your teammates as well. So I got Boom. traded for David Wells. So Mark Lewis and myself got traded from the Cincinnati Reds organization to the Detroit Tigers and David Wells from from the Detroit Tigers to the Cincinnati Reds. I believe there was a player to be named later in that trade. We could probably look up who that was. The trade deadline of 1995. And uh, How about that? Yeah. yeah. And so if you Google my name, you'll find me in the minor league statistics, but you'll also see, you know, that'll come up with David Wells, like traded for David Wells, but... And and to your point, at the time, you don't know you're not making the big leagues. I was still relatively young, had a little time in double A, mostly A ball. And uh, and the Tigers, you know, welcomed me in. They were like, hey, we have a plan for you. We've seen you as a starter. We'd like to see you in the bullpen. You're going to go down here and throw. And I pitched well for them. And they did send yep. me to, they didn't send me to winter ball. I got to, oh, I went to the Arizona Fall League that year, which, I mean, what more what more kudos can you get? not being a top prospect, but going down there. And I played with guys that you know well. I mean, you know, I think uh, Andy Bennis was our one of our starting guys. I played with uh, Jermaine Dye on that team. There were a bunch of, and we played with, I mean, the craziest guys I ever met, like Bluma. Remember Jamie Bluma from Wichita State? Oh, yeah. Did he, didn't he play yep. for the Padres? I can't remember. I think he did. Yeah. So that here, guy here's was, the trade. You ready for this? Detroit yeah. Tigers traded to Cincinnati Reds in exchange, traded David Wells to Cincinnati in exchange for CJ Nikowski, David Tuttle, and a player to be named later. Tigers received Mark Lewis. Oh, the Tigers got yeah, Mark Lewis. There yeah. you go. All right. So there you go. That's big time, dude. That was it. Yeah. So th- that's a couple of the trade stories right there from the Bleacher Blums podcast. Uh, who knew that Tuttle was one of the bigger trades around there? You've been traded a couple times though, haven't you? Nope. Just that one. Just that one. That was a good uh, one, man. You know what? I was, I wasn't a free agent. How to get, I got traded from the Tigers to the Diamondbacks when they were an expansion organization. Yeah, Was that the, an expansion type thing or it, it, I didn't get it drafted in the expansion, but when they, I guess they got like Travis Lee yeah. and they got a couple guys to start their organization but they also mm-hmm. got some dispensation. To, it wasn't a free agent thing, but I think they just sent some cash over to the Tigers as those guys. Because that's you know, like another funny thing. picks or, yeah. Yeah, right? Because they needed to field a team. So the first yep. year, they only had A-ball and AAA, and so they took a bunch of AA guys and we put them in high A. We won the California you know, st- uh, California League Championship that year with a bunch of guys. Um, the, uh, the, cool, the year before that was the year in 1994, I played with uh, Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers. In we both had that little bitter story that I've told on the podcast before. We 
the Diamondbacks were starting a team and they had drafted those two Cuban guys or signed two Cuban free agents. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a team. So the Tigers and the Diamondbacks kind of went Habsies on a team. I remember that. And so Dave Roberts and I both got sent to that team. We were in, uh, what do they call that? A, like a co-op team? So we were paid I think it's by- a co-op, yeah. Yeah, I was paid by the Tigers as was Dave Roberts and we were working our way up. But we were, you know, we played- triple a most of spring training and then we were on the double a roster and like oh well we need to fill out this team you guys go out to the cal league and play again and i was like what like that was a (laughs) that was a that was a disheartening year but again that's a harsh reality well we talk about grinding it out and intestinal fortitude Mm -hmm. i mean look where dave roberts ended up and you know look where i ended up i mean this is you just don't have control you like to have as as much control and and i think just to finish this point when you talk about somebody like kevin towers you know, sometimes you just need a guy in your corner that sees how hard you're working and respects what you're doing. And, you know, it's not it's not luck. Luck is a residue of design. But, man, just, you know, a decision here, a decision there. I look at Dave Roberts probably gives a lot of credit, even though he's a great human being, but a lot of credit to that stolen base in that World Series. And he was never a minor leaguer again. I mean, it was a, it was a, a pretty impressive, uh, you know, turn of events for him as well because he had been – trying to make his way to the big leagues for a long time. And I know he was in AAA that year, got called up. And then, you know, one of the biggest steals in the history of baseball to to break the curse. And, mm-hmm. you know, now he's a mainstay. So anyway, a lot of good things, a lot of good stories. Yeah, I was only traded. I was only traded once, like the deadline headline. But, the uh, but you know, I guess I got traded to the Diamondbacks for a bag of balls and some uh, rosin. <laughs> Those are good stories, good memories, and that's what you're going to get right here on Bleacher Blums. It has been another fantastic episode. We've still got a lot in the tank, but we will have an opportunity to talk about that here in in soon-to-be-more podcasts. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We are on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Much thanks to Mark Ramos, our producer. He is also creating t-shirts for us. you got to stay tuned. you got to keep checking in at Bleacher Blums on both Instagram and on Twitter to see the latest updates. Uh, bleacherblums.com is where you can get at us whether you tweet us questions or comments or you go to the website bleacherblums.com you can jump into that mailbag and leave us an extended comment or question that we will be happy to answer in future episodes um, but you, like we do on every podcast Tuttle we like to give a shout out to those who are uh, who are out there putting their lives in front of us so why don't you take this uh, this ending for us and give those props where they're deserved yeah thanks Blumber um, <clears throat> I was going to just give one quick shout out tonight's Star Wars night I believe at the stadium I texted you uh, I said you guys should do Luke oh, Skywalker yeah. Luke Skywalker and uh and Yoda should be you and TK, and you said okay, <laughs> but I, I have a feeling that's not going to happen. But Star Wars night, TK is not going to go for Yoda. Yeah, all right. Well, you guys got to work that out. But I, <laughs> what I didn't know, and I only listened to this from the uh, from the broadcast that I catch bits and pieces of, uh, as we all should listen to the Astros uh, TV broadcast, is that you are kind of a a, a Star Wars file. I guess you're into Star Wars, and you. Well, I'm a geek. I I had my kids. Watch the old ones, which I always liked. The original, I call it the original mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi or Return of the Jedi Empire Strikes Back. And uh, they just, they don't, they just didn't hold up as well as I thought they would, but I enjoy them. But I did not know that you got your whole family into Star Wars. So I know that's a little aside. That's probably a topic for another podcast. But tonight is Star Wars night at the ballpark. Are, are you a real big Star Wars file or what? Yeah, no, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I've oh. always I've always been. My dad totally indoctrinated me. I remember back in 77 when Star Wars came out. We literally theater jumped. Oh. Uh, we watched it, paid our ticket, and the only cool thing my dad ever did with me, other than teach me how to play baseball, was go to the next theater over and not pay and watch yeah. it again. So Bingo. 
done that. And <laughs> so, I liked, I think when they all three came out, I did the same thing where I watched all three yeah. in consecutive, like in a theater. I did the that same was thing. pretty nuts. Okay. Yeah. No. So we're kind of in the same boat in that sense, but I've carried it over into, into my kids. My daughters, I know that Audrey, I could probably have Audrey on this podcast and she would give us behind the scenes. She reads all the conspiracy theory blogs about, Ooh. you know, behind the scenes, what this means or how these people are connected. So she's kind of my aficionado as far as that's concerned. But all of my girls have watched them. They all enjoy them. We've even gotten to the, you know, the extent where we've watched both seasons of The Mandalorian, uh, you know, and uh, stuff like that. So it's kind of something right. that our family has kind of bonded over and enjoyed. So I've fully indoctrinated everybody. I enjoy Star Wars now, even though I get zero, absolutely zero help from TK and Julia because they could give two craps about Star Wars. I find your lack of faith disturbing. But it's a night where I I, I wear my, I have a Rebel Alliance uh, lapel pin that I usually wear. Nice. And then I've got a uh, BB-8 uh, tie clip that I usually wear. So uh, I may be wearing those tonight. I'm going to look for the Rebel Alliance tie clip. And, you know, just like Luke, <laughs> Luke Skywalker and Yoda protected the uh, the universe, right? We uh, we want to thank the uh, first responders, military, uh, and then healthcare workers for all they do. I mean, that's an important part of, like, it, we talk about that every podcast, but that's certainly an important part of why we have the freedom to uh, express our opinions and have a, have a listening audience on this podcast. So, again, shout out to first responders and everybody putting their life on the line. Uh, you're greatly appreciated, and everything you do is uh, hopefully well worth it for uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy. So um, that's all I got, Plumber. And this is all I've got. Get after it and believe it. The Force will be with you always.